Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Greg Haynes with you. Welcome to Full Throttle as the COVID-19 coronavirus chaos just continues around the world. This global pandemic, who knows when we listen back to this, how long it will have lasted, but it's just going on and on and on. This is the Eurosport Full Throttle Bike Racing Podcast for Monday the 30th of March 2020. We have coming up in the next couple of minutes, Mick Shanley with us. Mick is the crew chief of Loris Baz in the World Superbike Championship with 10 Carter Racing. Really busy year coming up for him hopefully whenever we next get back underway again and we had Loris Baz on the podcast with us a few weeks ago so we'll get mixed version of events in a few minutes from now but in the meantime quick update on the race calendars what is actually going on you may well know that in Formula One they've had the cancellation of the Australian and Monaco Grand Prix and plenty more postponements so at the moment no racing for F1 until Canada in the middle of June the circuit de Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal at the very earliest Latest casualties in terms of postponements, the Spanish MotoGP in Jerez, which had been pending for a long time as a potential season opener, that's gone. I expect Le Mans to be gone as well. Again, these aren't cancellations. These are postponements. Let's see what happens over the next few days. BSB very much affected as well. The British Superbike Championship, we've had postponements of the opening three rounds, all wiped off the schedule for the time being at least. Silverstone, Alton Park and Donington National. So the first BSB date remaining on the calendar for now is Snetterton on the weekend of the 20th and 21st of June. Plenty of issues for World Superbikes as well. And although nothing's been officially confirmed, my personal feeling is we're just not going to get any racing anywhere, to be honest, until July at the earliest. I hope I am wrong, but who knows what's going to happen. Of course, all this is going to depend on government restrictions And the casualty counts, sad to say that, but the casualty counts due to COVID-19 around the world. Plenty more innovation, let's say, coming up, I hope, as well, from Eurosports over the next few weeks. So watch out for activity online. A few ideas are in place there. But in the meantime, the podcast continues. And Mick Shanley joins us to discuss Australia and his feelings for what we hope will be the rest of this bike racing season. Well, Mick, I'm not quite sure when I'm going to see you again because this is a bit of a strange situation we've got here, isn't it? Yeah, hiya, Greg. It's, uh, yeah, definitely strange. I should be uh, just arriving back at the airport in the UK after Qatar, but 
yeah, another weekend off. Yeah, and we just don't know for how long either. But if we look back at the weekend we did have, and it seems like World Superbikes was very fortunate in many ways to actually get at least one full racing weekend, and what a great one it was. Seventh place, seventh place, eighth place in the three races does not reflect what a good weekend it was, in my opinion, for the Ten Carter team and Loris Baz, because you really did have the pace to, I would say, actually win a race in Australia. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of our feeling as well. Um, things have gone really well through winter testing um, and then through the the preseason testing, Phillip Island, we were strong all the way through. We'd worked hard on, on race tyre times and, and we knew what we were kind of capable to achieve. And Yeah, I came away a little bit disappointed with the final result, but again, you know, very happy that the fact that we, we are competitive. Wit and I were joking, Mick, I don't know whether you've watched the races back, but in the commentary, we were joking about the fact that your heart may have skipped a beat. And James said, Mick Shannon probably had the toolbox out after those scary moments Loris had going off onto the grass. It must have been a bit of a scary one for you watching that. Yeah, yeah, it was all kind of a bit of a blur, really. And normally I'm, I'm really methodical and kind of write everything down and all these sector times I sort of write. I don't really watch much TV footage, to be honest, but yeah, my, my sheet with all my sector times on was just a scribble with loads of missing bits and then wondering what lap we're on. And so, yeah, it was a bit of a, a hectic race to watch, but no, good fun, good entertainment for everybody. So when you're in the garage then as the crew chief, what are you actually doing then? You're literally hardly watching the telly, but looking at the timing screen, are you? And just writing down every single sector time all through the race yeah i do because I, I i'm always trying to analyze and see you know where we're strong in sectors and and where we're losing out if we start to slow down in a particular sector you know how how's our time dropping away compared to other riders um and i'm i'm always looking at those sort of things to see where we can improve and where we need to make a step ready for the next race uh, it's interesting to see at times but that was the frustrating thing as well. Obviously, in in race one, we we had the sort of close moment with Alex and and went wide at turn one and and dropped down to eleventh. But at the end of the race, we could see we we were definitely the strongest person on track at at that point. So we knew we were going to be competitive. Um, it's just a matter of time of being able to get it done. And how has it happened so quickly, Mick? Because it has happened quickly, hasn't it? It doesn't seem long since Loris was left on the sidelines at the end of 2018 when he lost the ride with Altea BMW. Uh, then, of course, he was back before we knew it halfway through last year with 10 Carter. But it just seems to have progressed so quickly since then. You basically come in with with a road bike transformed to a race bike. How have you guys gotten to such a high level so quickly? Yeah, obviously we get... We do get good support from Yamaha Europe, and we get a lot of the same material available to us uh, that the factory guys get and GRT. So that helps. Um, it was a little bit tough last year when you come in mid-season because everybody's done their pre-season testing. They've done yeah, four or five races. It was when we arrived in the championship, and we had a lot to kind of contend with. I was in the fortunate position that I'd worked on Yamaha before in 2015 with Josh Brooks. So I was a little bit familiar. Uh, Ten Carter boys, it was almost like it was a, a strange animal. You know, they'd worked on a Fireblade for the past yeah, God knows yeah. how long and, and the bike hadn't really changed so much. So there was a lot of new things for the mechanics and guys to get uh, used to. And also the relationship with Yamaha and 
how we had to order things and and information flows and things. So Loris had to get going and yeah, we're almost, I think, running before we could walk with it in the first couple of rounds. Um, but knew that there was the potential there. So you know, we built as the season went on uh, to be reasonably strong. You know, we just missed out on the podium at Magnicor and we had a few fourth places. So we knew it was there. We just needed to get a good winter's testing program underway to try some of the things that you maybe don't get chance to try really uh, methodically in a race weekend. So we revisited a few different things and tried some some new avenues and some new directions on settings, which seemed to work well. Some new parts, um, some actually having some time with the bike with Ten Carter, and we could understand where we were lacking and start to build some of our own Ten Carter innovations, if you will, uh, to try and help things on. And yeah, winter tests being solid. And I think that showed when we turned up at Phillip Island, we've actually arrived in the season with that grounding behind us and, and we're ready to go racing now. In the situation you're in, Mick, can you go down various avenues or is it fair to say there is one route you need to find and go down or, or you know, or are there a selection of different options and then once you've picked one, you have to go down that route? How does it sort of work from a development point of view? And obviously you're tied on certain things with regulation. Yeah. So there's things that you can do and you can't do. But yeah. for me, it's, it's just very important to react to your rider and and what your rider wants and obviously we work together a lot we talk a lot um and we sort of analyze that area where we know that we're weak and it's what you can find to try and minimize that area without impacting negatively on all the other areas so um you know i revisited the uh loris's comments from the from the last year and also we have like a, a priority list of development at the end of his debrief sheet from Qatar and starts was a huge one for him. He said, you know, even if we have the pace to win the race, if I can't get off the line, it'll never happen. So that's a main priority for him. And the second one was acceleration stability. Uh, and then, you know, we've tried things and done things over the winter, which is starts have improved a lot. Normally we, we lost a raw, maybe two rows but in Phillip Island we're actually possible for us to start to gain one or two positions off the line which is a huge turnaround from where we were um, and then things that we've done with the rear of the bike some different parts uh, some different settings have definitely improved the stability on acceleration so we seem to have made a step forward there then obviously there's the, the things that have come from Yamaha like the new aerodynamics are definitely a step better especially for somebody as big as loris um that's helped and hopefully when we when we can start to run the new engine that'll give us another little step do you seem to have that telepathic connection with loris mick you know we see this between people like Pera Riva and jonathan ray and giovanni Krupe and scott redding i think is another good example they almost know already what each other are thinking when the rider comes into the garage and you're already that sort of one step ahead without having to explain all the basic stuff. Are you guys a bit like that as well? I think, yeah, things are growing. We have a, a really good relationship. I, I love working with him. He's, you know, he's really professional. His feedback's brilliant. It's, 
it's feedback that I like to work with in a way. Um, doesn't overcomplicate things, but he knows where he's struggling and he knows what he wants. Um, so we can we work quite well together. I think I've done some things that people might think oh, that's a bit stranger, a bit crazy if you approach it to a rider. But whenever I've had that gut feeling and the hunch and said, "Listen, I know this might sound weird, but we need to push in this direction," and Loris has gone and tried it, it's been positive. So that builds a lot of trust between you. So. You know, for Loris as well, if he complains to me, it's like I've got his ear a little bit now where he'll, he doesn't worry so much about the change that I'm going to make because he's pretty sure that it's going to be in the right direction. So we have got onto a, onto a good level there where we can work fast, we can work quickly through things, analyse them quickly and sort of move on to the next one. So development, you know, speed increases quite a lot. It's... Uh, I love working with him to be honest it's uh yeah always fun we always have a laugh it's it's uh serious when it needs to be but um yeah we have a real good atmosphere with all the 10 Carter guys in the box yeah they are a really good bunch and it does feel as well from the outside at least like it's not a sort of too many cook scenario there's not that many people in the team are there in its current guys and it seems like everyone's dedicated to their own role they can really get on with what they are being paid to do and it seems to be working really well yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a thing that's happened, you know, with everything that's gone on with the change from Honda to Yamaha and, and everybody in the team. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Everybody wants to do the best and it's just us in a little unit. We've all got our own roles um, and we all work together really well, taking care of all those individual bits. And when we piece it all together, it, it's it's showing dividends. It's... It's a little bit strange in a way, you know, obviously Ten Carter had come from from the Honda, which can be very political and very structured and we don't have any of that really finicky politics mm. to sort of deal with in a way, which is a, a, a real big benefit um, for us as a small team. It allows us a little bit of freedom and don't have to worry too much about what we say on interviews or or things that yeah we've just got that freedom to kind of explore and try new things and and be a little bit free it's it's good i know exactly what you mean because even arranging this podcast interview for example obviously we're lucky enough to be in contact with each other directly and we can arrange it you check with the team and we're away whereas sometimes with other teams people need to check with the press officer sometimes they want a recording of the interview before it goes out a conference call with the team press officer. It's a completely different way of doing things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I remember our first kind of one when it was uh, Red Bull Honda and I was just starting to work with Jake and although I didn't say anything out of line, I kind of got in trouble for not verifying it first. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I don't have those uh, sort of things anymore. <laughs> so I've got to go back to what you said before when you said sometimes you might do weird or, or crazy things. What are they, Mick? People are going to be wondering, what is it you've done? <laughs> it's uh, I know when we started with, with the Yamaha last year, this is just a, an example, you know. Yeah. Um, we sort of, okay, said to the Yamaha, what's your base setting? Where do we need to work around? And gave us Alex and Mikey's settings and so oh, yeah this is the area where you need to be and so i had to work around that point so we rode in Jerez, 
and had a huge crash. Um, we had uh, went to Mizano, had another crash there in qualifying. Had no confidence in the front. Didn't really matter, um, you know, with small changes or anything. We couldn't get the bike to work. So I just, Loris always said the bike feels really low at the rear and it, I can't stop it. I can't turn mid-corner. I've got no grip after three laps. And so I just said, okay, listen, you know, let me try something. It'll be a little bit left field, but let me try it. So Donington, he, he went out and came in. He was you know, reasonably well, top sort of eight, I think, in first practice, and said, yeah, normal thing, I can't stop, I can't turn, um, yeah, it feels really low at the rear, so I'd already lined the mechanics up, and we lowered the rear of the bike by a, a good step, sort of 10 to 15 millimetres, and everybody was kind of looking at me strange, like, lower the bike? I said, yeah, just lower it, I need to do it, but just be careful when you go out i'm not sure about ground clearance just go ride it so yeah off he went and came in sort of afterwards going it's unbelievable it feels like my bike <laughs> you know it, it stops it turns it's but yeah it's just doing things that that don't maybe follow the normal pattern of what um what anybody would think but it's understanding what it is your rider's actually looking for and his feedback might not be at that time, 100% accurate, but being able to interpret it and, and change that into a positive change. Um, and I think that that's where you start to gain some some really good trust between you and your rider. Now, I think, was it 15 millimetres you said there, Mick? Yeah, it was a it was a reasonable step change at the time. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, obviously, to you, that's a reasonable... I mean, 15 millimetres, to most people, doesn't sound like much. But how much would you normally change something like that by just to put that into perspective? Or would you not change it at all? Yeah, we... I mean, we'll change... If he's complaining maybe a steering at a corner, we might change one millimetre or... Wow, okay. Uh, you know, it'd be small sort of changes. So, yeah, to make a change that was that was so drastic. I mean, it was like 15 millimeters at the rear and five millimeters higher at the front. So it was, it was quite a big step change all in one go. Um, yeah. And we ended up that weekend at Donington sort of from being down in 12th to 14th place. We I think we finished fifth in one race and we were the top Yamaha in two out of the three races. So it was definitely positive. And just for people who may well be wondering at home, how do you make sure, you know, you've only adjusted it by, let's say, three millimetres and you've not accidentally done it by two or four? You know, how is it so precise? Yeah, everything's measured, uh, you know, vernier caliper measurements and um, we have certain jigs and tools which we can use to to hang on the bike so that we're adjusting to an exact number. Um, so I work with my mechanics and we have quite a, a system really. Uh, so they know what it is that I'm looking for or what I'm after, or I'll give them a target number that they need to, to get to and, and they'll do it. But yeah, they used to, the crew's so good. They're used to working in these ways. Uh, everything that we do really is adjusted by millimeters. So it's, uh, it's kind of normal for us in a way. Yeah, it's fascinating. The detail that goes into it. Let's go right back, Mick, because obviously I think it's fair to say most people listening to this will watch all the shows. If they're listening to the podcast, they'll probably watch all the practice sessions, all the races. They're quite diehard fans, let's say. 
how about you? How did it all start for Mick Shanley? What was the first sort of contact you had with a motorcycle in your life? Yeah, I, I kind of didn't have much option, really. I was sort of <laughs> born in February, and uh, my mum and dad had me at the Isle of Man TT in June. So wow, really? Wow. That was that. I, I grew up with it uh, from the very beginning and got my own first little Push Magnum 50X at three years old, and and that was it. You know, I, I didn't really spend any time away from a bike all the way from being a, a child. My father, you know, I credit him for a lot for all my mechanical knowledge. He had a, a car and truck garage and um it actually growing up, my father's car and truck garage that I went to every weekend and every school holiday, backed on to Philip and George Fogarty's haulage yard, obviously Carl Fogarty's dad. So yeah, I used to go and blitz my little bike up and down uh, the sort of loading yard there at Fogarty's place, and Carl would be down every now and again. Obviously, he was older than me. Um, but yeah, I sort of grew up in that environment around those sort of people and always went to all the race meetings and, and worked on my bike and worked on cars and trucks with my dad, and things progressed, obviously, as I got older. So yeah, I've been fortunate to to make a career out of um, my passion, really. So you must have got to know Carl Fogarty very well then. And what was it like seeing Carl over the years, coming up through the ranks and winning races, winning championships? Yeah, yeah. I used to go and see him as I was a, a little kid at Aintree and Alton Park and club racing and things like that. And then obviously as he as he got faster and, and kind of used to go training, motocrossing and the local go-kart circuit, in Blackburn we used to go there when he was kind of at his height in 95 and 96 and uh, yeah yeah it's always had a, a sort of good time and we don't see each other very often but occasionally when I go home now and, and go and see my parents we might bump each into each other in the local pub and sort of have a catch up and things and yeah my wife's like oh god that's it that's my <laughs> night over with just be motorbikes all night but yeah it's good just to catch up every now and again and and sort of yeah chat about things and you've met a load of riders obviously over the years mick is there something different in your opinion even though you've worked with them and you're used to how they are are they a different sort of breed a different kind of human being the real top riders is there a sort of very selfish streak about them maybe yeah they can be but i think it's i think it's necessary I think anybody that that really has to push to the absolute limit, yeah, um, you have to have that single-minded focus to do to do that. And different riders work in different ways. You know, I, I've known riders that are an absolute pain at race meetings, and as soon as they go out the circuit gate, they're a different person. But it's the same, I think, for a lot of people when you're in that environment you're there to work and that is your job and people view it from the outside like you know it's their hobby it's what they're yeah. interested in but for those people that are in there trying to win championships it's your job and it's what you're focused on it's what you've worked all week spending hours watching you know reruns and analyzing data and looking at chassis programs and making plans and it's those times at the race meeting that this is it this is what we've done all this preparation work for so it's you've got to be quite focused and single-minded i think to to be able to achieve that sort of level of things but 
I think in general they are a, a different breed. Things that they can feel on a bike and and things that they come back with. It's like the world happens in slow motion for them. I think it's uh, some of the things that explain about what they're doing on a bike and you know how using the rear brake to slide the rear and unload the front because they can feel the front tucking and. I'm thinking, yeah, I try and ride a bike like that. I feel the front tucking on either on on my ear or I'm in the gravel trap having stood it <laughs> up. But they're actually manipulating controls on the bike to to play with that edge, which is yeah, incredible. Well, if you're saying that, what chance has anyone else got? If you're a pro crew chief working in the World Superbike Championship, you know, let's say a top track day rider, more or less, Mick. Let's say you go to Donington Park. How much slower would a, a quick track day rider be than one of these pros, more or less? I'm trying to put a number to it. Yeah, I guess around Donington, you know, I work with a, a few guys with my my own sort of side business that I've got, but they'll they'll sort of do Donington at you know twelve, fifteen seconds a lap slower um, than what the World Superbike guys are, which is absolute night and day. It's it's a different world altogether. And that's a top track day rider. That's the quickest guys. Yeah, yeah, generally. Um, you know, we sort of raced, I think, in 20... We qualified 27s, but racing 28s or something like that at Donington. And, you know, guys that are, that are managing to get down to 40s, uh, maybe a high 39 is, yeah, he's a quick track day rider at that point. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? Just going back to Loris for a second then. Um, starts... You mentioned before, mate, they've improved dramatically, haven't they? Fifth on the grid in Qatar last year, and he went backwards every time, didn't he? But this year, Philip Island, as Loris said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he was very pleased with his start. So are those electronic settings, or is it mechanical? What else can you change on the bike to get off the line as well as he is now? Yeah, we've we've identified a couple of bits. Um, some of the electronic settings have been, you know, we've been able now to adapt them a little bit more this year than what, uh, we were capable of last year um, which has definitely helped with with sort of launch off the line and then the drive but we've we've been working on a couple of small other things really just to help um, you know mechanically to get the clutch out and stop the thing wheeling so much off the line so all these little things just trying to improve in every little bit of an area definitely has an impact and and can uh has added up to being able for us to not only just maintain a position uh, off the line, which would have been a huge step, but we actually managed to make one or two positions forward, really. And what about engine? Because I think you guys were running, was it a modified 2019 engine in Australia? And we were expecting a 2020 engine, perhaps from around Aston, if I'm not mistaken. But obviously, we don't know now what's going to happen with the rounds. But are you expecting engine updates? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is another... Uh, kind of frustrating thing a little bit at the moment you know we've we've got all this time on our hands at, yeah. at present but we can't even because yamaha europe uh the race base is just outside monza um everything's on complete lockdown in northern italy at the moment uh so we can't actually get our 2020 engines out of italy <laughs> they sat there sat there ready um all the components are sat there ready, but we can't actually get them. We were due to get them last Monday. Uh, and yeah, the, the country got put in full shutdown. So 
we have everything there sort of ready. As soon as we can get maybe, you know, shipping relaxed a little bit, then it'll be uh, sent directly to us. So hopefully, you know, by the time we do get out on track, we should have the 2020 material. So just to clarify for you, those of you listening, when Mick says last Monday there, we're referring to the 9th of March. Uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, those engines might be somewhere closer to 10 Carter in the Netherlands. But I mean, it's just such a weird situation we've got, isn't it? To not know when we're going racing again. And as you said before, Mick, we've not had Qatar. Um, Hareth has been moved. Aston and Imola are looking unlikely, I think it's fair to say. We don't know when the next round is going to be. No, no. All we can do is is just prepare the best that we can do. Um, this will be the biggest kind of gap that we've had in any racing yeah. really for a long time. So, yeah, we've just got to... It's a shame though, isn't it, this year when we've got a good calendar which has been closed up with no big gaps as we've had and then this happens. Yeah, yeah, we've got this and then obviously we had three incredible races in Australia and I know Loris, for one, was just biting. He couldn't wait to get back on the bike yeah, I bet. Uh, at the next round. And, you know, we're all we're all sort of here chomping at the bit. We we feel as a team, as Ten Carter and Loris, that we've, we've got a real chance to get some good, strong results and be competitive. But it's like being a, a child at Christmas who's not allowed to play with his toys, you know. We're, <laughs> we just, uh, we want to get going again and we want to do what we do, but yeah we've got to we've got to kind of follow as things are worldwide it's a problem it's it's something that's been taken out of out of racing's hands and i'm sure governments will be doing whatever they're doing for the best of everybody yeah it's like a kid isn't it getting his christmas presents as you say but not being able to actually play with them till easter or something like that it's a bit of a the frustrating one but what about mick shanley now then what happens between now and whenever the next round is can you get a few donnington track days in maybe yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Um, yeah. No, we'll see how it is. I've got like my little sideline business, so I help out a few people here and there um, with bikes. So I've been doing a little bit of that, but also, you know, always working on ten Carter things as well, trying to invent new new programs on the laptop for analysing data and um, some three D CAD drawing to to make some new parts while we've got time we can sort of do some of these development things which take a little bit longer so we've been fortunate now that the crates have been delivered back uh, to the workshop because of this extended delay so the guys can can prepare things over there and yeah I'll just do whatever I can do over here at the minute um, depending on travel restrictions you know hopefully fingers crossed we're hoping we can maybe get a test in um, but that yeah, purely depends on on kind of Dutch government and UK government and things at the moment to make sure that we can travel uh, when we need to. Yeah, I was going to say, last question. Let's just say there was no travel restrictions in place at the moment. What are the rules? Is it eight days, I think, you get during the season of testing? Yeah, it's something like that. Um, we don't normally use all the days that are available. I'm not sure that it's eight or 12 Um but yeah, as long as we nominate to the organisation that we're going to test on this day and this day, uh, it sort of gets knocked off our allocation. Then uh, I believe things like Suzuka A Tower, if you do that, say the event is classed as a day or two days from mm, your is, yeah. from your overall sort of uh, allocation. So 
yeah, it'd be nice uh, if we could get out and do a do a little bit, uh, you know, even for the rider just to keep fresh and and keep going because. Yeah, if and when we we are allowed to go, for sure it'll be maximum attack. So we want to be ready for it. Well, Mick, best of luck with everything. Hopefully you do get a test in and you can get your hands on those engines very soon. Not quite sure when I'm going to see you again, but we'll definitely be in touch and good luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, no trouble. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Look forward to getting back and seeing you at a racetrack soon. Thank you to Mick. Good luck to Mick, to Loris Baz and the rest of the 10 Carter team for whenever, if this 2020 season continues. But it's funny, isn't it? We've been talking about a new decade, and at the moment, it looks as though it might be a decade of nine years. Who knows what's going to happen? But everything utterly, completely up in the air. Still many more questions being asked than being answered at the moment. But we will be back with full throttle next week. The clocks, of course, now have already gone forward. We will be into April as well by then. And spring very much underway, but not quite as we were expecting. Thanks from Greg Haynes. Thanks from Eurosport. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And many thanks for listening to Full Throttle, the bike racing podcast from Eurosport. We'll be back with you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.